Sportsnet 960, the fan. You need help with your fantasy football team? Always, please. Are my you? Goodness. It's bye weeks, George. This is a mess. Just looking at these rosters in the break. My goodness. Are you, are you in trouble? Are uh, yes. You, are some of your team, some of your guys just underperforming? Mm-hmm. Should you go out there and make a trade? Probably. How much of your free agent budget should you blow on Kenneth Walker? Cynthia Freeland, NFL analytics expert, will join us at 735. Um, Rick Ball. The play-by-play voice for the Flames on Sportsnet at 8 o'clock. A lot of whispers. Flames might be naming a captain today. Huberdo is trending on Twitter. He sure is. He sure is. Could he potentially? Like, how good was that dinner he had with Tree? Like, how good? Potentially, he was even the captain of the team. I could see it. I could certainly see it. He's here long-term. I, you know, I wonder if there was no Alexander Barkov, if... You know, it might have been him mm. for a long time there in Florida. Like, Barkov's one of those guys. You're like, yeah, obviously. Duh. Like, look at all the loose ends the Flames are tying here right before the season. Insane. They just signed Daryl Sutter to an extension. Mm-hmm. Um, they signed Mackenzie Weger to an extension. Sure and did. And they potentially could have their captain named today. It's like, done, done, and done. Yeah. And now just... And now uh, the season. Now I believe you just need to get the GM extended. Boom. No there problem. There you go. Uh, I don't think, I think that's just a uh, fait accompli. Yeah, um, I would agree. Um, we still want to hear your texts, 960, or read your texts, 960, 960, name and location. You're going to ask our guest? Uh, Rick Ball? <laughs> no, the the next guest. Shai Davidi, yeah, yeah. He'll be joining us uh, soon in a couple minutes here. Um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. famously said at the beginning of the season, um, Last year was a trailer. This year was the movie. Well, the Blue Jays crashed and burned out of the playoffs. Which movie best describes the 2022 Blue Jays? 960, 960, name and location. And Mm -hmm. after that complete meltdown, the complete debacle, the soul-crushing loss by the Blue Jays on Saturday, what is the Flames equivalent to what happened to the Blue Jays on Saturday? 960, 960, name and location. We're going to do both of that at 830 and give away Blunk. 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 That's the second time Blunk I've done that. Blink-182 tickets. They're, They're like playing French. down at the Dome. Mm. Uh, Tom DeLong's back as the lead singer. And we're playing a bunch of Blink on the show today. Yeah. On the intros, and I love that. Um, I We, we all saw it during the Avalanche playoff run <laughs> when they were singing the, the Blink-182. All the small things. Yeah. Um, Should the Flames have a song like that? The Oilers are doing it, too. Yeah. I Like, the Flames do a, like a in-house sing-along. But and they've got four or five songs yeah, to kind of put roads. on a rotation. Country Road's a good one. Um, what's the one? Is it Garth? Friends in Low yeah, Places. Friends in Low Places. That one get the crowd does like, yeah, uh, they like little friends Saturday in Low Places. Night. But I mean, but I mean, singing need, all in one yep. during the play is on with in like unison. five minutes to go when things are done. Yeah, when you throw it on in the break and then the song ends because plays back and the crowd just keeps carrying right. it. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it was electric to hear it in Denver. During oh. that cup run. Every time I heard it, I was like, well, this game's over. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely over. Uh, it's over like the Blue Jays season. Oh, uh, our, next guest, oh. our next guest, Blue Jays insider, Sportsnet columnist. We say good morning to Shai Davidi. Shai, how are you, pal? All right, what's going on, guys? Um, Shai, just from a, a personal uh, media perspective for you, how many times did you have to rewrite your column uh, during that oh. game on Saturday? Uh, I, I wasn't even counting, to be honest, and <laughs> it, it was uh, it was chaos right down at the very end, right? And, uh, you know, the challenge with a, a story like that is you go from 
in a, in a heartbeat, you're like, okay, this is how game three setting up to post mortal. Right. Yeah. And that part of it was pretty, uh, pretty, pretty difficult, but that's, uh, that's why we get paid the little bucks. Right. It's so, true. uh, got it done. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll hope it goes. Um, when George Springer was getting carted off and he did like the NFL style, trying to get the fans pumped up, didn't that moment feel like the season was over, Shy? I don't know if it felt like the season was over, but you could tell that, you know, even in that moment where, you know, Springer's dealing with some sort of head trauma and other ailments, that he had a sense of, where the crowd was, where his team was, certainly, where that game was, and that he tried to make an impact even on his way out on a card and try to say, guys, we got this. Like, let's go. We can do this. Right? That was how I saw it. And, you know, I know there's this sort of narrative out there that the Blue Jays just laid over and died, but, you know, in the bottom half of that inning, you know, Bobichette works a walk off Andres Munoz, who's like this triple-digit throwing mutant who's almost impossible to hit, and then steals second and gets in the scoring position, ends up at third base and gets stranded there. Like, It's not that you know the Blue Jays laid over after that by any stretch of the imagination. They were still in it. Uh, I really think this is one of those games where you know, the Mariners beat them, and obviously you can look at a Blue Jays perspective and say, well, the execution especially on the pitching side, was brutal, and it was. But there's some credit has to go to the Mariners here, too, where, you know, this isn't like, to me, there's a difference from the 2015 ALDS against the Texas Rangers, right? We all remember the Jose Batista bat flip. But how many of us remember that the Texas Rangers made three consecutive errors and then allowed a very catchable uh, flare to fall in before the home run? Right, that was an implosion. This was, to me, more. You know, Mariners just taking it from the Blue Jays, and that it's tough to swallow. Obviously, and emotions are certainly still raw. I know, at least in uh, you know the the people that I've encountered, uh, and certainly what I've seen on social media. Uh, but uh, and and I don't think this. And understandably, I don't think anybody gets over this quickly or anytime soon. But you know, I. I I, I don't think this is a situation where you look at it and say, like, you know, just put everybody on the on, on the on the spike and get you know just pitchforks and torches. They just got beat. Shy, it's a, it's interesting because, like you mentioned, like there's a lot of frustrated fans right now, and and with that comes some, I would say, inevitable finger pointing. And I think that when you look at what was a short series, there's a, a few instances you could point to, and you could say that that collision with Bo Bichette and George Springer was one when John Schneider pulls Kevin Gosman in that second game when Alec Manoa allows three runs in the first inning of you know your your home game in the playoffs. Like it felt like there was a lot of things that fans could point to and say that was where it went wrong. Was there one that maybe stands out to you when this is all said and done, uh, having a couple days to digest it all? Is the only thing that I'll point to, and you know, I just just I'm just going to go on a little tangent here. I really dislike the entire Bobichet should have been there conversation in center field. Like that's. 
two guys on a ball that's right into no man's land. Nobody's called it. And two guys going all out to make a hustle play to try and save multiple runs. I love that play. I love that effort from Bogachev. I love that effort from Jordan Springer. And I just, the criticism of that play bothers me a lot. Uh, the, the one play that I would look at, or one decision, is why Jackie Bradley Jr. wasn't in the outfield in the eighth. And to me, I would have, and I said this to uh, a couple of our colleagues before that eighth inning started, like, this is Jackie Bradley Jr. time. You know, I know there's George Springer the top of the coming up in the top of the lineup in the bottom of the eighth inning, and you maybe want to steal that one extra at bat from him. But to me, he'd done his job that day. He's beat up. You've got a game three the next day. You may need a throw. You may need a play. That That's Jackie Bradley Jr.'s time. Or at minimum, you know, lift him for Rymel Tapia and then, you know, push push Springer to right and Teoscar to left. That, that to me, is the one thing that, to me, was a bit out of character from the way the Blue Jays have done things all along. But I think there's a case, you know, whether you agree or not, and obviously we have outcome to, to you know, decide the discussion, but I think that there's certainly a case for going Tim Mesa there over Kevin Gosman at 95 pitches after Carlos Santana, uh, or to face Carlos Santana a third time after he put one off the top of the fence a couple of inches from a home run in the previous at-bat. Uh, you know, I think, I mean, Alec Manoa is your dude. You're second-guessing the Alec Manoa decision, then I don't, honestly, like, what are you doing? So, you know, I, I think that the one thing is, is why JBJ wasn't out in the outfield there. Like, he's, he's, he's the best, out, one of the best outfielders in baseball, not just on the Blue Jays. You know, t- to me, that's a spot where, you know, you've got, you're up by four. I know that if you can feel the momentum and the Mariners coming, but why is your best defensive outfielder not out there when you need six outs? Well, we know that those are the decisions uh, interim manager John Schneider made. I just want to ask you first about the Gosman thing. Was that a spreadsheet decision, or do you think he made that on his own, Shy? Because it felt like a Blake Snell kind of thing. I don't think that's, a, that's the Blake Snell thing, but... <laughs> You know, to me, it's vastly different with the Blake Snell. Like, yes, there was some bad luck, but Kevin Gosman did load the bases that inning. He's at 95 pitches. He's third time through. And if you're going to go to Tim Mesa at any point, like that, you've got to run a lefties coming up. That's that's the point where it makes sense for him. And you trust in Tim Mesa. I know that a lot of people are, you know, again, reverse engineering this based on results and are like, well, how could you trust Tim Mesa there? But Tim Mesa is one of, uh, one of Schneider's dudes. He's in the circle of trust. And, you know, he's been very good. He's gotten a lot of key outs for them over the past few weeks, and they wouldn't be in this spot without him. So I, I get the, the second guessing, I, you know, and I can certainly see why. Uh, but I also get why John Schneider made that call. And obviously nobody likes the result, but the process to me isn't inconsistent from the way that they've operated all season. Shai Davidi, Blue Jays Sportsnet columnist, joining us here on the big show, Russick and Rose Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Um, I know it's a small sample size, two games in the playoffs, but obviously game one, when Luis Castillo is dealing with, just the, the aspirins he was throwing at the Blue Jays, 
That had nothing to do with John Schneider. The two decisions he did make uh, are under a microscope and will be talked about the entire winter. Is, is, is the interim tag going to be removed from him as manager? Do you think he's the right guy for the job here? Because in the most important game of the season, he made some questionable calls, but at the same time, uh, the team played a hell of a lot better under him after he replaced Charlie Montoyo. Is he going anywhere or he's just going to get the interim tag taken off? And we might hear that today from Ross Atkins. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know for a fact. I would think that based on the job that he's done and the things that I've heard from players, both publicly and privately, that he's won enough of them over to, to merit the removal of the interim tag. So to me, this is what it comes down to. I mean, the Phillies, they, they've already extended Rob Thompson. He's there. Uh, the, the Blue Jays, I think they know by now whether or not he's their guy. But if you want to take a bit of time and do a fuller debrief with your entire roster and try to make some decisions, fully scan the market to see if you can get better in that area, uh, I, can, I can see that. But to me, it's, it should be John Schneider's job. I mean, they lost two games in the playoffs. You know, the Mets won 101 games. They lost two games in the playoffs with two Hall of Fame caliber pitchers going in the series, right? It's like, it's yeah. a tiny sample. And if you're going to base a decision based on one game, I don't think that you're going to have a, a very successful club because you're going to be completely reactionary all the time. So, uh, I mean, I, I certainly think there's enough from John Schneider to, to say that he deserves to, to remain in that role. But... Whether or not he does, you know, uh, I haven't heard definitively from anyone from the organization saying that's a yes yet. So we'll wait and see. Uh, Shai, um, you talk about sample size and Ross Atkins has been the general manager of this team for a long time. And I think we can all agree that this season's disappointing. Like, yeah, I know they won one more game and got to the playoffs, but you still lost. And I think the expectations for this team were probably maybe ALCS. And I think a lot of people would have been pleased if they would have got to the ALCS again at the deadline. Uh, it's the same things we keep talking over and over again, Shy. You don't have a left-handed power bat. That's something this lineup's been lacking for years and years and years. And even though the bullpen was really good, especially after the All-Star break, you still don't have any swing and miss in the bullpen. Should the general manager be held accountable? Like, is is he the guy that gets changed in all of this? Because... Uh, outside of the rotation, which is going to need some work in the offseason, is Ross Atkins going to be the guy who's making those decisions? And should he be held accountable and be the fall guy in all of this? Uh, I mean, I... Because it's tough, premise, right? I, I don't get the premise of the questions. Like, we ha do we have to have pitchforks and torches for somebody? Because, I mean, I get it. It sucks. The way they lost was ugly. But, like, I mean, does firing someone make, make anything better? Look, if Ross Adkins is operating in a vacuum, which I don't believe that he is, then okay. But he's working within an entire baseball operation structure. Like this is not the Alex Anthopoulos Blue Jays, where one dude's making a decision. Hmm. This is this is a collective. This is a collective process of an entire baseball operations department uh, with that Mark Shapiro oversees. And did they not? Did they? Uh, I think the area that you can most criticize them for. Look. It's easy to say you need a left-handed power bat. Like, it's much harder to get that, 
right? Like they're they're not just like, like growing on trees, just hanging around. And mm-hmm. there was there was no left-handed power bat available at the deadline. So, to me, I think that the larger failing is in the past few off seasons, and not just this off season, but the the past off season as well, in terms of figuring out a modern bullpen, and that mm. had, that was an that cost them in 2021 as well. And was a bit of an issue in 2020, although they, you know, had a little bit of luck with the, you know, they stumbled into, you know, the best 60 games they're ever going to get from Rafael Dolis and, you know, Anthony Bass was okay. Uh, they need to figure out that bullpen. To me, that's the biggest issue. And they had hoped they, they pushed hard on David Robertson at the deadline. And, uh, you know, the Cubs liked a different offer better than theirs. And so they didn't get him. And maybe that maybe he makes a difference for this team, but they they needed a hundred percent. They needed one other power arm, and that was really demonstrated in that series. And you look at the difference between their bullpen and the and the Mariners bullpen, where you know they have Matt Brash and they have uh, Munoz, like I mentioned before, and, and Seawald and Festa and Penn Murphy. Yeah, like that that Mariners bullpen is deeper than theirs, and and that was demonstrated in that series. So 100%, that's an area that they have to figure out. But I think you can also look at the amount of talent this team has accumulated. You look at the way that this team is positioned. Like, that's a pretty good job. Like, they're the envy of the majority of baseball. They have a young core that still hasn't peaked. Like, they're, they're going to get better. Like, Bo Bichette is going to be better. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to be better. Danny Jansen is still getting better. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., uh, Alejandro Kirk, Gabriel Moreno's coming. Like Santiago Espinal developed into an all-star. Like this is a, this is a pretty good team, mm. and I, I think there's a danger in the emotion and the visceral anger over what happened on Saturday to throw the baby out with bath water. That's certainly not something that you should. Everyone step back, take a few deep breaths, and think. Okay, how do we add and augment? as opposed to how do we just, like, exact some vengeance because I'm mad. So, Shy, as we do look towards the offseason, would one of the maybe first orders of business be looking at extensions for Vladdy and Bo? That way you kind of know what you could work with as you try and address some of those issues in the offseason via free agency or trade or whatever it might be? I don't know if it's the first order of business. To me, to me obviously, the first thing you do is you figure out what you're doing with the manager and put in – coaching staff in and around him and then from there you're start you're into off-season moves okay so like what free agency are you gonna go what trade opportunities do you have which prospects are you keeping how are you tweaking this roster you know the more immediate the more immediate calls is uh is on you know what are you doing with your two corner outfielders both teoscar hernandez and lourdes guriel jr are free agents after the 2023 season and are you keeping one? Are you keeping both? That's an obvious area where you can maybe try to find a switch hitter or a left-handed bat to create a bit more balance in your lineup. So that, that to me, is where you're starting. And then the extension talks, like that, those typically happen towards the, the latter part of the offseason into spring training, you know, because there's less pressure, there's less urgency. Uh, you know the, the the way the baseball calendar works that happens later, and uh, you know to and, you know the Blue Jays have I'm sure I'm certain discussed to some extent you know where 
what what an extension with both those guys would look like, and uh, Bichette and Guerrero, and they probably have a sense where they can pick that up when the time comes, when there's a bit of a pause in the offseason. Shai, how interesting is it then uh, Ross Stripling was on with Ben Ennis on the Fan Drive Time show in Toronto yesterday, and he said he was told that he's starting game three. Is that news now that the season's over, or do you think that meant something? No, I mean, he, we, we, uh, we'd all known that. I know that the, the Blue Jays kind of left it open, but that's just their way. But, yeah, he was starting game three. He was in the clubhouse finishing off a scouting report on the next day when the Blue Jays went up 8-1. So uh, I don't think there's much to read in that. I think the, the bigger point to maybe be taking from that is that Ross Stripling has earned that kind of trust with the way that he's pitched. And, you know, full credit to him for the season that he had. If not for his emergence uh, after the Hyunjin Ryu injury, this Blue Jay team would have been in a lot of trouble from a, from a pitching perspective. And he got an opportunity, seized it, career highs in starts, innings, uh, ERA, I mean, he just had tremendous, a tremendous, tremendous season. So um, I don't think that we should be surprised at all that he was going to start game three. That was the, the sort of the plan all along. And, you know, they've had the Blue Jays won game one. Those, he, the likelihood was that mm. he was starting game two uh, so that in the hopes of being able to pull off a sweep so Kevin Gosman could start uh, game one of the ALDS. Shai, uh, we know a lot of work has to be done to this rotation. What does it look like? heading into next season? What, what do you think the plan is? What are some targets? Because obviously Ross Stripling's going to test free agency. What does the rotation look like to you right now? And, and how much work is ahead for the Blue Jays in the winter? Well, they've got three pieces for sure, right? You're starting at a pretty good place with Gosman, Manoa, and Barrios. So that's a, a, a tremendous starting point. And then you've got two guys that you're looking at saying, okay, well, what exactly are they? And that's in Yusei Kikuchi and Mitch White. So my guess, and I don't know this for a fact yet, but my guess is they're adding at least one starting, one established starting pitcher to cover if they, if they aren't able to re-sign Ross Stripling. And I do think that they will attempt to re-sign Ross Stripling. And then maybe add one more one, at least one more option to compete with Mitch White and Yusei Kikuchi for, uh, you know, the final spot in the rotation. And to me, there's, I know that people are very, very frustrated with Yusei Kikuchi and understandably so, but I think you can still look at that repertoire and you can still look at the, the flashes of what he can be and say, all right, if this gets figured out, then you've got an elite starter there. So, uh, to me, it's not inconceivable that Yusei Kikuchi spends an offseason working on some changes, mm. build some trust in himself, build some trust in the changes, maintain some consistency, and comes out and is an effective starting pitcher in the major leagues next year. Uh, but I don't think that you can't count on that. So, you have to plan and give yourself a contingency, which is why I think They'll, there'll be at least one other starter who'll come into camp competing for a job and you know with Mitch White uh, with Mitch White as well and White, both White and Kikuchi being possibilities to end up in the bullpen again. Uh, Shy, before I let you go, uh, I hate putting you on the spot here, but I'm going to ask you a longer question so you have time to think about it really quickly on the fly. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. famously said in spring training, last year was the trailer 
This year is the movie. We're asking our listeners at 960-960 which movie best describes the 2022 Blue Jays. Shai Davidi, Sportsnet baseball columnist, as it give you some extra time to think of a movie that best describes the Blue Jays' 2022 season. Which movie, Shai, do you think best describes? Oh, man. Uh, I... I don't know. Empire Strikes Back, maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of movies I know that didn't have happy endings, right? <laughs> Rogue, Rogue One. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I think it's got to be something that doesn't have a great ending, but that doesn't mean that the, the sequel doesn't have a better ending, right? Okay. So, oh, I, I like yeah, it. So, so, so let's go. I don't know, let's go. Empire Strikes Back. Okay, I like yeah, it. That, Rebels are feeling good about where they're at after destroying the Death Star, and um, <laughs> all of a sudden, you know, Luke loses an arm in a lightsaber battle. So, um, yeah. Well, let's go with that. I like it, Shy. Shy Navidi, Sportsnet <laughs> baseball columnist. Great stuff, Shy. Thanks for this. Yeah, you got it, guys. Take care. There you go. Shy Navidi has his answer. Text line's lighting mm-hmm. up for this one, too. Yeah, it's doing pretty good. 960, 960, name and location, please. Which movie best describes the 2022 Blue Jays? There's a lot out there. Oh, I've there. crafted a little bit of a, a little bit of one myself that I'm excited to share a little bit later. I can't wait at 830. You're also a chance to win some Blink-182 tickets at 832. They're coming to town. Because uh, we're asking two questions to you, our listeners, 960, 960. And we can call in because I think you can win the tickets if you call in. Yeah, okay. And add to our conversation. Sure. Which Get movie the- best describes the 2022 Blue Jays? And with that meltdown debacle on Saturday by the Blue Jays, what is the Calgary Flames equivalent to what happened to the Blue Jays on Saturday? Mm-hmm. 960, 960, name and location. I think we're going to go back in time and play some heartbreaking clips too. Oh, good. That's great. Yeah. A little uh, sad music underneath. Let uh, the tears maybe. roll. Yeah. But maybe. Uh, some old school stuff too. From uh, we have some of our hardcore listeners who've been around a while, busting out some stuff from the '90s that Ooh, you don't remember. Some sad folks, yeah, um, who are I'm sure were around for the '89 Cup win, who remember that vividly. But and uh, then it was 15 years of sorrow. Yeah, definitely. And then that magical run in '04. And then there was more sorrow. Yeah, especially because was it in or not? I'll never forget when uh, Rhett told me that uh, Marty Jelena told him it went in, and he goes, Marty Jelena would never lie. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I so completely told, agree. There you go. That, that's, yeah. That's, and again. He would never. Was it in? And it, Maybe that's your, but that wasn't a meltdown. We've had a few texts of the, that one come in. Yeah, but that wasn't a meltdown. That Anytime you're, you're like, like, hey. Soul-wrenching, like soul-crushing. What is something bad that's happened? And everyone's like. This is it. Yeah. This is the worst thing that has yeah. happened. And I'm right there with you. Uh, 960, 960, name and location. Uh, give us the Flames equivalent of that meltdown by the Blue Jays on Saturday. Do you need some help with your fantasy football lineup? Always. Now, now it's getting to that part of the season where buys are starting to kick in. Yes. Um, I just looked at my rosters for next week. Trouble? Yeah, there's some holes. Um, Rashad Penny out for the year. Broke his leg for the Seahawks. Whoa. That's terrible. That means it's Kenneth Walker time. In he the cannot Seattle backfield. stay healthy. Not really, but no. he, when he was healthy, he was really good. Yeah, and Kenneth Walker ran for eight carries, eighty-eight yards, and a touchdown on Sunday. Sought after. You have a number one running back sitting there. How much of your free agent budget should you blow? What should you do? Should you go trade for him? Lots of things. How concerned should you be over Jamar Chase? 
in Cincinnati? Should you cut bait on Kyle Pitts? You're literally asking like all questions that I have for my roster. Yeah, and Cynthia Freeland, uh, NFL Network analytics expert. Uh, she does NFL Fantasy Live on the NFL Network, too. Uh, she's going to join us straight ahead. She's fantastic. And Rick Ball, the play-by-play voice of the Calgary Flames at the top of the next hour. Rick Ball, very excited. And I saw him uh, just a few days ago. Yeah. Do you call him Rickster? No. I call him Rick. Could I say one of my um, one of my things in life is uh, I've always wanted a co-host named Rick, so I can just call him Rickster. <laughs> Rickster? Yeah. Hey, Rickster. The Rickster. The Rick. The. Hey, hey, it's the Rickster report. What do you got for <laughs> us today? That would have been great. Rickster. Few and far behind Ricks these I wanna, days. You I don't wa- see a lot of yeah, uh, no, new Ricks. I want to get to know Rick Ball so well that I can call him Rickster. That's a, Sure, that's an attainable goal, I think. I think so. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I also love uh, fantasy football, and uh, Cynthia Freeland, <laughs> NFL Network analytics expert, joins us this morning. Cynthia, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? We're great. Thanks for jumping on. Uh, Cynthia, I know you're, you're, you're great at numbers. You, you love diving into all these numbers, the analytics, the models, uh, the projections. Uh, what's the analytic on that Chris Jones roughing the passer last night? Because I just, <laughs> I don't even know how to quantify what I saw and how a penalty. It's just a black eye, right, on the NFL. You, you can't have a call like that on such an enormous stage, right? I mean, we've seen it twice in like 24 hours, so <laughs> I think it's a 100% chance that it's going to annoy everyone and give us like, it actually united Twitter on some level, <laughs> which, is hard thing, which is a hard thing to do, right? So, <laughs> um, Going for two. Okay, so give me the numbers perspective. Uh, Raiders score a touchdown, down by one, they go for two. Four and a half minutes left, and I don't like to do this, Cynthia, but sometimes, much like all of us, uh, I don't like to yell at my television while watching (laughs) sports, but I started yelling at my television. I'm like, don't go for two, just kick the one. There's way too much time. If that was the last play of the game and you have a chance to beat Mahomes and the Chiefs at Arrowhead, I'm down with it. Go for the two points. Go for the win. You win the game. It's over. Four and a half minutes left and not kick the extra point, Cynthia? Can you explain the analytics side of things? Because apparently that was the explanation. Well, the honest, okay. So first of all, analytics is like a really big word that means a lot of different things. So that was a decision that wasn't analytics, right? Like, so his decision to go for it, whether or not, so every team has their own pattern and formula for if they want to go for it on fourth down or not, and when they should, and whether or not that was like a, an analytics decision, or if it was a decision in his head, it doesn't matter. Like the analytics, they they don't I don't know what they say like we hear on broadcast the analytics say blah 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 well ESPN has a model and their model is very good it's it's not it's not a knock on their model but it is their model same with next gen stats we have a model at the NFL we use the next gen stats it is not infallible it also is a it's an average of every team's specific situation it's not individual it's not individually for the Raiders or the Chiefs etc so the reality is is he had he made a decision and he took responsibility for his decision whether or not like some numbers that he had come up with prior to the game said that it gave him an advantage or not like we don't actually know because we don't know their model we only know a, a, a media model that's like an outsider's point like for example if like if if the left tackles and getting beaten up a ton or if they think their defense like can stop Mahomes or whatever whatever it is that they've been noticing that's their version of the situational data that they're using to make an in, a decision. Also, 
I mean, we wouldn't have seen the Eagles win the Super Bowl had you not made the low probability decision of calling them, you know, the Philly special. So sometimes it's, the analytics are just knowing the framework that you're making the, the, the high probability decision or the low. It's not the actual decision itself. Cynthia, we, we have a, a member of our show, Alex, here, who uh, unfortunately got kind of fleeced in a trade. He lost Travis Kelsey, ended up with Darren Waller and a few other parts. Oh, no. Have you seen anything uh, prior to Darren Waller getting hurt? Oh, hold, hold, sorry, sorry, Matt. Just just for context, Cynthia, a week ago, our technical director, first time ever playing fantasy football, Cynthia, mm-hmm. he traded away Travis Kelsey for Clyde Edwards Elaire and Darren Waller. Your thoughts on the deal? <laughs> I mean, who traded him that? That's it's a little mean. Who <laughs> did it on the other side? Right. Thank you. Uh, it's actually right. a personality on this radio station. Uh, his name's Logan Gordon. And he got all okay, defensive Logan. about the trade. Sorry, what was that, Cynthia? Because we want to play that clip. I see you, Logan. I see you. Okay. All right. It's not Rossi, good. He, bro, he's getting... bro, you guys can beat it. I, yeah. I, I, he, I went... yeah, and then he told us all to beat it when we were mad at him for taking advantage of our teammate. It, it was a bit of a mess. But is there any... Anything to, that you've seen from Darren Waller through five weeks of the season? I know he left early on in that game, but perhaps even earlier that tells you that there might be some sort of return to form down the road here? It seems like if he's going to get healthy, they would want to use every asset available to them. I mean, we saw Mac Hollins break, break out. Like, there's a lot, of, like, a lot of things that they could use that he, that he brings to the table. So, my guess is that he's probably a bit more injured, right? We, we only know if they're good enough to play or not, right? We don't know mm. if they're 100% or if they're 75%. So I would just, it seems to me like maybe he's just not close to 100 maybe like 60%. Mm. What has impressed you the most about Cooper Rush and this Dallas Cowboys team that just keeps on winning? <laughs> um, you know, Cooper Rush is doing a really good job of executing a game plan that's specific for, like, they're, like, they're doing a really good job of starting off with, I mean, you say like easier things, but like, you know, making outside the numbers passes under pressure in a deep situation when, and remember he didn't even have Michael Gallup for a while. Like that's just low probability. They're, they're designing a high probability game plan for him. Like you talk about analytics, it's the plan. It's not the, it's, it's, it's not him executing it or not. It's what was the plan for him. And so they're doing a lot of things that are starting off, getting into rhythm and allowing him to make bigger, better, more interesting passes. Like he's executing the game plan that they are setting up for him very, very well. But also there's some credit should be given to the fact that that game plan is really helping. And then you can't help but acknowledge how well their defense, specifically the front does to help them out, to put them in situations where he's not doing low probability, deep throws on third and 17. Cynthia is, is Micah Parsons the best defensive player in the NFL right now? You know, until Aaron Donald leaves the NFL, I, you're you're not going to get me to say that. But he's certainly he's certainly right up there, you know, amongst the best. But the fact, I mean, what Aaron Donald has done for so and for so long, like you just like they're like bow down, like that's the defensive go right there. <laughs> he totally is. Uh, Cynthia Freeland, NFL Network analytics expert, joining us here on the Big Show, Rosen Russick, Sports at nine sixty, the fan. All right, uh, some fantasy football advice. Uh, we know that um, Rashad Penny's out for the season. Unfortunately, he broke his leg. Sunday, uh, Kenneth Walker now going to take over. Had eight carries, 88 yards, and a touchdown. How much of your free agent budget should you blow on Kenneth Walker if he's available in his league, Cynthia? If somebody has him, should you try to trade for him? What's your read on that Seattle backfield now? 
it's it's definitely you know I, it's funny because like right around now whether or not like obviously you don't want anyone to get hurt that is a number one but the reality is is right around now is when I kind of thought the shift to Ken Walker would happen anyways because you know Pete Carroll although we've seen a lot more passing this season historically the guy runs more than any other coach since he started coaching so you're gonna want to get you're gonna want to get your hands on him now. I'm not a big proponent of like just going all out and blowing my entire free agent budget on someone. I I do think that is a strategy I've seen work for other people, especially as a running back position, but it really kind of depends on your circumstances. Like I would trade him, but only if I had like a dearth of wide receivers that could also help me out with, you know, getting the insulating me against points because, you know, Walker, as much as we, this Seattle offense has been fun and, you know, they do have another situation where it's, it's going to look okay against the Cardinals, too. They have the Cardinals defense has some some pain points. I do think that, you know, down the stretch here, it's going to get a little bit harder. And I don't know if they'll keep the number one, you know, offense in the league at this point. As we look at the teams that are going to be on a bye for this week, you know, you see the Titans and the Raiders and the Lions. Like, those are some teams, that, including the Texans, actually, with Pierce lately, but... Um, some strong running backs that are going to be on some bye weeks. Is there anybody as you look ahead to week six already that might be on the waiver wire uh, or even benched and, and maybe a little bit further down the bench that you could see perhaps exploding in week six in a, in a good mat- matchup as a streaming option? I mean, you know, look, I'm, I'm waiting for like, what is going on with like, is Travis Etienne getting returned back to form? What's going on there? And then obviously Whatever happens in Indianapolis, because Jonathan Taylor has not been able to, like, they, you know, yesterday we saw latest news from Frank Reich is that, you know, it's still, it's still questionable with Jonathan Taylor. So figuring that backfield out is going to be interesting, as well as, you know, obviously, I, I hate to bring it up because the game was so hard to watch on Thursday, but Denver has some opportunities in their backfield, too, with, I mean, is it Boone? Ugh. Is it Gordon? Ugh. It's a tough one, but that is a team that, that needs to run in order to stay, you know, that whatever's going on with their offense and uh, is Russ okay? Like what, who knows? Right. But, you know, obviously he, he's injured now or getting something checked out in his arm. So, you know, there is value to figuring out that backfield. It's just, it's just kind of painful, especially because that is a plus matchup on Monday night against a chargers defense that is very generous to opposing rushers. Uh, Cynthia, if you own Jamar Chase or Jonathan Taylor, which one of those owners should be more concerned after five weeks? Probably Jonathan Taylor because it feels like he's quite injured. Like, I, you know, is he going to be okay? Like, that's the – I, I'm, I'm worried about his availability. Um, are, Jamar Chase, they'll figure it out. Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, they haven't – their deep game, for whatever reason, their deep game is faltering. I think hmm. part of that has to do with, you know, like some, you know – preseason lack of continuity, but that'll come back. Joe Burrow is a deep passer and Jamar Chase is a deep receiver and he's had one deep reception this season. Like he led the league in it last year. Like they will figure it out. Um, Cynthia, can you think of a more polarizing player in fantasy football over the last two seasons than Kyle Pitts? Like we see the potential. <laughs> we see a guy who's that big, who runs that fast, who's an absolute matchup nightmare. And yet he's not getting the targets he's not getting the the production that we all thought and all the high picks that people took with Kyle Pitts if you if you own Kyle Pitts what should you do Cynthia I think you should hold him you're not ready to get rid of him yet this is he's the thing about Kyle Pitts is funny is like Arthur Smith does not care about your fantasy he like couldn't care less (laughs) but what he does care about is 
I mean, Atlanta is Atlanta's kind of this mirage. Like, they don't have a good record, but they're not, a, like, a team that people are just, like, overlooking. Like, they have been in it for every single game, you know, until the last minute. They came all the way back on the Rams. But, you know, the week one, my goodness, they were about to win. Like, you know, these are – they've been a little unlucky. So, they will figure it out, and Kyle Pitts will likely be a part of that. The problem is, is the reason we drafted him so high in fantasy is because it seemed like there weren't any other options. And you know who else knew that? The defenses that they're facing. So it's mm. not like he's been, you know, do, p- performing poorly or just not. I mean, obviously he wasn't there, so he could be hurt. But, like, you know, he wasn't there last week. But so keep an eye on that. But, you know, assuming he's out there, he will it, – it'll, it'll happen for him. Just have to also remember, like, again, they're not on our schedule. As much as we like them to be, they're just not on our schedule. <laughs> It's certainly a little bit different for them, I guess. Uh, I did want to ask you, because you kind of mentioned Jamar Chase and as a guy that perhaps the, the turnaround will come. Are there maybe some other buy-low candidates that you're looking at? Because we're getting to that time of season where people are starting to look at their rosters and realize, I'm in it, I'm out, I need to make some changes. Is there maybe some buy-low candidates that you're looking at right now? You know, you talk about the running back position, and I think as we see the season goes on, I think actually Miles Sanders is going to become increasingly valuable because they cannot keep exposing Jalen Hurts to the kind of hits and the kind of runs that he's been facing. So I, I would, you know, that's someone who I think each game we've seen a little bit, we've seen like, okay, okay, okay. It's just like right on the cusp of really coming together in this way that's like really helpful for your fantasy team. Plus I think in order for the Eagles to stay as efficient and effective as they've been, they, they need to keep changing it up a little bit. And that would be one way to do it that would, not really change a ton for their O-line, which is pretty banged up, or for, you know, a lot of their different blocking schemes. So I think that's, that's maybe one that I think could have a, a second half, like, okay, keep going. Also, I would probably tend to look at, you know, I'm very interested in what's going on with the Jags. We've seen a lot of up-and-down games from Trevor Lawrence, but, like, Christian Kirk seems, you know, he seems to find, like, Marvin Jones or Christian Kirk or someone, you know, that – I hate to like keep coming back to the Jags, but like for whatever reason, like I think we undervalue them because you see some weird kind of results at end of games, like losing to the Texans after nearly, you know, starting so well against the Eagles. Like that's weird, but you know, I think finding the, 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 the key parts of that is, is interesting. And also I think maybe people, well, I'll give you this is my last one. I promise. Um, I think, it's, mm-hmm. I think it's also because he's a, a bit, you know, maybe maybe after last week and then the bye, like you could probably get Amon Ross St. Brown now for a lot less than you could after that. You know, the Lions put up a goose egg against the Patriots, so you could probably buy him kind of low right now. Mm, I love it. Um, Giants four and one has to be the story of the NFL right now. Uh, is this a bit of a mirage? Do you think this can continue? Because obviously Brian Dayball doing a fantastic job in his first tenure here, first time around as an NFL head coach, can the Giants be a playoff team, Cynthia? Have you seen enough? Are the underlying numbers good enough that maybe the Giants can sustain this, even though they've been riddled with injuries at the receiver position? I mean, the receiver position, they've also been riddled with injuries on their defense. That, that's kind of, to me, it, I love I love the story. I love, first of all, Dayball, like, congratulations, Dayball. Like, that's, he has made, like, one, Saquon Barkley is back to life, which is incredible. But, like, without any receivers, he's made it this far. Beat the freaking Packers. You know, like, this is crazy. So, it's, it's a great story, and I love everything about it. The problem, the problem is, is that at some point, your depth catches up with you, or lack of depth, rather, catches up with you. And I, I don't know when that'll be, but I do think that 
it's a it's a it's tough sledding to keep asking them to you know to do so much. I mean, we saw Daniel Jones with an ankle injury, like kind of miraculously recover from it. God, that's youth. Doesn't that make you like want to be young again? <laughs> because I'd be out for like 10 years, you know? So, but it's, you know, it's, it's like, um, you know, at some point though, like you can't, you, there's a reason why number one wide receivers get paid so much. And there's a reason why you have a, a, a roster with so many of them, because you can't always spin gold with like a bunch of people who, like once they figure it out and put it on film, it's going to be a lot harder to do. Cynthia Freeland is an NFL Network's analytics expert. You can follow her on Twitter at C Freeland. Cynthia, great stuff this morning. Thanks for this. You got it. Thanks for having me. There you go. Um, don't don't blow all your what? free agent budget on Kenneth Walker. Just just come. Maybe hold, trade hold for the him. horses. Maybe, maybe a little bit. But Kyle Pitts is like the most frustrating, maddening player in fantasy football. Because as Cynthia aptly put it. Uh, Arthur Smith don't care about your fantasy football no. team. He absolutely doesn't. But throw the guy the damn ball. He's 6'6 and runs like the wind. <laughs> Good Lord, throw him the rock. So frustrating. And if you're a Jamar Chase owner, you're like, oh, are you going to start to catch some big passes here? Going to put up some big numbers? Because right now you ain't. And that's a little frustrating. And uh, that Ravens and uh, Bengals game was super fun on Sunday night football, too. And I didn't think it was very fun, but sure. Uh, did you see, uh, there was a stat, um, real quick, uh, before we get to the break, uh, Justin Tucker is so ridiculously hate that guy. He's so good. Automatic. Um, apparently there was a stat out there that Justin Tucker kicked that ball so straight. Yes. I saw this. Yeah. He, ki- he kicked it so straight. So down the middle that if the goalposts were half a yard wide, it still would have been good. Like, isn't that mind blowing? And oh, and it's just a uh, prime time to win the game, right down the pipe. Like unbelievable, a half a yard, and it would have been good. How big is a football? Yeah, he is just <laughs> ridiculous. And usually kickers get disrespected, as they should a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But that guy is just so money, so all the time. And he's only missed one kick in his entire life in the fourth quarter to either tie the game or go ahead. Like it's once he's missed a kick. Very, yeah. I'm always impressed by what he's able to do, but not always excited. As and, someone who supports the Cincinnati Bengals, that was a tough one. Uh, and it's and it's funny how we talk about Justin Tucker. Meanwhile, it was Lamar Jackson's <sighs> scrambling ability that got the, the Ravens uh, into field goal uh, position to ultimately make a run stop. that game. Make a yeah, stop. Make a stop. Uh, make a stop. J- Justin Tucker continues to uh, be incredible. What a week six slate we have ahead on the National Football League. Can't wait to sink our teeth into that. Uh, can't wait to sink our teeth into some Flames talk straight ahead. Rick Ball, the Flames play-by-play voice for Sportsnet, is going to join us. I'm fired up. I'm excited for our questions for Rick because I know he follows the Jays as well. So, and he's a guy who can spin a tail. I'm excited to see what he says. So, I'm going to ask Rick at the beginning of the interview sure. his movie so uh-huh. he can kind of it can marinate in his brain a little bit sure. as he answers questions on the Calgary Flames. Uh, we'll ask him that question. And at 8.30... Your chance to win Blink 182 tickets. But you got to call in because we want to hear from you. Uh, the movie which best describes the 2022 Blue Jays after Vlad said, oh, last year was the trailer, this year's the movie. And that playoff debacle by the Blue Jays on Saturday, what's the Calgary Flames equivalent? 960-960 on the text line. Name and location, please. One more hour to go of the show. It's, Flying. It's the large show or the big show.
You don't like the large show? No, I like R and R more. Yeah, a little R and R, little R and R, little R and R. Eight o'clock hour of R and R. Sports at nine sixty. The fan. <laughs>